Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. He starts off and he says, be comforted. You know, find relief from sorrow or distress. That's what the phrase means. Just mm-hmm. so speak tenderly. Mm-hmm. Speak to the heart of Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. You, know, you, know, you know, when, I don't know, maybe you've faced this yourself, maybe you've had children, you know, when, when someone's been told off, mm-hmm. or they, you know, they kind of, they're sort of, they're a little bit, you know, like, whoa, you know, whoa. You know our kids are sometimes like, they, if we've told them off, and there's a kind of, you know, they, they sort of, they take a step back. And I think part of what God's saying here through Isaiah is, it's okay. Mm. It's okay. Don't, don't, don't be afraid. Mm. There is a hope. Mm. There is a future. He says your hard service is done. This phrase, hard service, is, is a phrase of military service. Mm. The time of judgment has passed. Mm. He says your sin has been paid for. You know, they, they had served this, this 70 years. And God was saying to them, it is finished. There is a hope. And it's starting now. Verse 25 of Isaiah 40. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He uh, he who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even you, say, teenagers say, amen. Even you mm-hmm. grow tired and weary, mm-hmm. and young men stumble and fall. Mm-hmm. More often than they'd like to admit, so they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Verse 27, God said, you know, why do you say, I don't see God working in my life? Verse 28, he goes on to say, I am the enduring, I am the everlasting God. Mm. It's, it's this phrase that means something enduring or everlasting is, is without beginning mm. or end. Mm. Everlasting has always been. Wow. Verse 29, he says that he provides strength or might or force mm. or power to the weary ones. Verse 30 says, even teenagers mm-hmm. get drained. You know, my son is not a teenager, he's mm. two years old, and man, you know, I, I do wonder if he gets tired sometimes. Mm. <laughs> you know, I come home from their work, and Michael's been, and Asia's come home, and she's tired from school, and, and my son, he just, we have this game, so he's, he's on the, so if, if, if it's too dark, like recently it's been too dark to get him out to the park or something like that, and dinner's really, okay, so, so what am I going to do to wear my son out? So we have this game where he stands on this side of the lounge, and he runs, just like a goat, he goes, he puts his arm like this, and he goes, ready, steady! And he runs straight across the lounge, and I do a back foot with him and throw him on the sofa, and you know, and then he goes, again! And he jumps off the sofa. <laughs> and this is the kind of, this is the game, this is my life. You know, you know, no more strength for my son, please God. Alright, but, 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 but there's something about this, and God's trying to speak to the people who, you get the sense that, you know, they're weary. They, 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 in a sense, maybe they've lost hope. But God's saying to them, those who hope or wait or look, for God will find 
grow weary. You know, I, I used to do quite a lot of running, and I, I used to think I was quite a good runner. You know, these days, you know, I can barely kind of waddle along. But, you know, <laughs> you know, run and not grow weary. You know, I think when Zechariah comes along, they had started rebuilding, but they hadn't turned to face God. And Isaiah, I think, you know, retrospect was trying to remind them. God must be your strength. Mm. And you know, God is the God of why? why? why does God want to be, I think because God is the God of mercy. God is the God of second chances. Mm. Don't you love that about God? Mm. You know, God is the God of second chances. And, and you know, you just have to go back to, to the beginning of Genesis. God is the God of second chances. Mm. You know, when Thomas Edison made the first light bulb, it took an entire team of men 24 hours straight to make one light bulb. The story goes when Edison had just finished with that, that first one light bulb, that team of people, 24 hours, that he gave it to a young boy helper who nervously carried it up the stairs. And step by step, cautiously as he was going, he, he watched this, this barley, you know, he was so fixated on it, afraid that, you know, he'd stumble and he'd drop this precious light bulb. And he got to the top of the stairs, and sure enough, what happened? He tripped and he dropped the bulb. And it broke. So patiently Edison regrouped this set of tired, weary scientists. And they set to work and they made the second bulb. And who did he give the second bulb to to carry? The same boy. The same boy who had dropped the first one. And I think there's a lesson there for us about God as well. To the returning exiles and to us, God is the God of second chances. God says, return to me. I will be your strength. I will not let you faint, fail, stumble, fall indefinitely. I, I will give you strength. Return to me. Lesson number two. Abandon your idols. Isaiah 41. Come on. Isaiah 41 in verse 22. It reads, tell us, you idols, what is going to happen. Tell us what the former things were so that we may consider them and know their final outcome. Or declare to us the things to come. Tell us what the future holds so that we may know that you are God. Do something, do anything, whether good or bad, so that we will be dismayed and filled with fear. But you are less than nothing. And your works are utterly worthless. Whoever chooses you is detestable. You see, Isaiah had a second message, a second lesson for the returning exiles. And he says it, verse 25, he says, your idols are worthless. He repeats it again, he says, they're, they're less than nothing. Whoever chooses you is an abomination, is repulsive. You know, it's funny, when you read, when you read it in Isaiah quite a few times, when you read the Bible talking about idols, it's kind of comical. Right? There's this kind of almost tongue-in-cheek thing going on. I picture Elijah talking to the prophets of Baal. Maybe he's asleep. Mm-hmm. Maybe he needs to shout loud and do something because maybe he can't hear you. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a sober point to that. You get a sense here that Isaiah's trying to say to them, wake up. Mm-hmm. Wake up. Can't you see? Mm-hmm. Can't you see that this thing that you've made is a statue of wood or stone, maybe even a precious metal, but it's, it's nothing. It's nothing. Wake up. You know, idols have a funny way of deceiving us. Mm. And Isaiah 42, mm. in verse 8, 
with the idols is never just forget your idols. It's, it's forget your idols and return to me. Verse 8. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. God's saying, I am the only God. From everlasting to everlasting. Without reference to beginning or end. I am the only God. The sad, I think, and sober thing for the exiles when they returned is... I think they struggled with various different idols. Have a look at uh, Haggai mm-hmm. in chapter 1. Haggai chapter 1, verse 1. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josedah, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your family house or houses, while this house remains a ruin? of the Lord. What are we going to do? We need money, we need, you know, to go rebuild the house of the Lord. Where are we going? We go back to Jerusalem. Why? To rebuild the house of the Lord. It says it over and over and over and over again at the beginning of Ezra. They had started, they faced persecution and trouble. Sixteen years had gone past. And you get a sense when Haggai comes along, he was kind of saying to them, stop. Look. It's the foundation of the temple. No, 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 no. Look. Mm. Yeah, it's the foundation. It's the foundation of the temple. No, 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 no. Stop. Look. Was this it? Is this why you came back from exile? Mm. To lay the foundations? Was that it? Mm. No, you came back to build the house of the Lord. No one, you know, I've never built a house from scratch, but, but you, don't, you, don't, you don't lay foundations for a house and then kind of go, hey, let's have a, let's have a housewarming party. <laughs> People come around and you kind of go, hey, okay, so, and, and you come in through the front, well, there's no front door, but if, if there were, it would be here, you know, come, come on in. And uh, this is where the dining table is going to be over here, and I guess there'll be a kitchen sink over Let's, you don't do that, it's just the foundations. People would kind of go, yeah, come again in six months' time, I'll come back then when there's a roof over my head, I'm not going to get wet. You get the point. Mm-hmm. But, 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 but the exiles, they, they've, kind of, they've kind of gotten used to it. Mm-hmm. Isn't it amazing how quickly we accept things and, and just go kind of blind or numb to them? Mm-hmm. Things, that, things that we, if we take a, a step back, we, we know that they're wrong. Mm-hmm. Like I remember, I was sharing with a student at Bible Talk on Tuesday, that I remember the first time that I swore. Mm-hmm. I, I remember it distinctly because my mum would have given me a whopping when I was younger. And so, so I was 10 years old. There was this one guy called Graham File, a boy called Graham File in our school. We were in the playground. He was doing something. He was, a, he was known as the school bully. I look back, it wasn't much bullying going on, really, to be honest. But, mm. you know, he thought he was the school bully and he could lift, he tried to live up the reputation. Anyway, but he did something. It upset me and I told him to F off. Right? And I remember standing there thinking, oh my goodness. 
this because there was a dinner lady and there was a friend, there was a girl who was a friend of my parents and her parents were friends. And I remember thinking, and I burst into tears. And I, I cried. I remember sobbing in the playground, thinking, oh my goodness, what have I just done? I think it was partly, you know, what would my parents do if they found out? And I think it was partly just, this was something I'd never done before. And I just, I wept. Now, by the time I was 18, 19, I wasn't a Christian yet. I, you know, I, I know, I, I know I swore in every sentence at least once. And do you know the reason I knew? Because when I would go home to visit my parents from university, I had to make a conscious, I wasn't a Christian, but I had to make a conscious effort and think, don't swear. Don't, and and that, that thought would go through my mind. Don't, don't swear. Like in the presence of holiness, all of a sudden your sin becomes much more obvious. Like being around my parents, my sin was really revealed, right? But, but I'd, I'd go so used to it, I wasn't, I just didn't think about it at the time. But the Israelites, Comfort had become their idol. Mm. They sought comfort mm. over commitment. Mm. Their house mm. over God's house. Mm. You know, there was a, when I was a teacher at Manchester University who was a, a vice chancellor of the university. He was brought in from an Australian university with this big kind of plan, and you know, to oh, I did lots of silly stuff at the university. Bring these two universities together, rebuild these whole new buildings. Take out a lot of debt, and you know. Anyway, it was this big plan, and he was there for about seven years. Did a lot of damage, I would say, to the university. He wasn't the most popular guy, but but he was known for being. How do I put this in polite terms? Um, he was quite. Uh, <laughs> I can't think of a nice way to put this. Let me give you an example. Um, one of his conditions before he would sign the contract to come to Manchester University was he, he needed a, an office in this. Old, sort of, you know, Edwardian or Victorian style building. But his office wasn't, you know, his office was grand in and of itself. He wanted to have a marble lined bathroom attached, fitted. I mean, there was no bathroom there, but he wanted a marble lined bathroom next to his office. That was one condition. He also wanted to have his own private small gym. Attached to this marble line. Gym. Vice Chancellor's University. I mean, he was on a 200,000 to 300,000 pound salary, right? So, you know, he's already, you know, doing fairly well for himself. Marble But these were certain conditions, and, and, and you know, kind of words spread around the university, and like I said, he wasn't the most popular guy, but, but he had certain kind of, you know, requirements. Mm-hmm. Sad thing was, he retired age, I think, 61 on a Friday afternoon at the end of term in 2008. 11. Yeah, I think 11. And there was an email circulated around the university. So Friday afternoon, the end of that year, June, and on the Monday, he had a massive heart attack and died. Oh, that was it. That was it. You know, isn't life a little bit like that? Though? Isn't life a little bit like that? that we seek all these kind of ways to protect ourselves. And I think that's what an idol is. An idol is an attempt to, to protect ourselves, to defend ourselves. That's why we build our bank accounts up. That's why we make our retirement plans. All of those things are necessarily wrong, but that's why we, 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 we build these protective uh, barriers. You know, it's funny. If I look back at, at the past, and I don't want to spend a whole long time doing this today, but, but, but 10, 12, 15 years ago, many of us, I think, did get burnt out. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, many of us, I would say, felt quite aggrieved, and, and many of us rightly so. And I think a lot of that was at times we didn't have clear boundaries with ourselves about this is not something that I want to do, and a lot of times people pushed our boundaries. You know, I, I was a ministry intern from 1999 to 2001 while studying at university and finishing and things, and I won't tell you some of the crazy stories. You've got your crazy stories, I've got mine too. You know, there was some some pretty interesting things that were going on. And, and, and for me personally, that, that was quite a lonely, discouraging time, you know. I, I, I can relate to some of, you know, coming out of the ministry for Dave, I don't think his time was discouraging, but for me, that, that, that time, for me, was, it was tough, you know. That, that, was, that was a tough a period in my life. It was lonely, it was a little bit crazy. But the trouble is, I, I think a bit like the exiles, in this kind of 10-year period, over the last 10 years, Many of us have gone to the other extreme. Yeah. Right? We, we've come, become so sort of averse to risks yeah. and to yeah. taking risks that we kind of, we built ourselves whole new barriers and, and walls that yeah. they're not healthy. Yeah. They're not healthy. Yeah. They're not healthy. And I can say that because I've done that. Yeah. I've done that. Yeah. And the truth is, for some of us, and this is not true for all of us, I don't want the, there, there are certain people in the room who, you know, you have a, a guilt-ridden conscience, whatever. I, you know, don't don't take the burden on you. This is meant for you. But if this message is for you, then take this to heart. Because for some of us, we're so protective now that there's no room for a radical Christianity. I read this thing in a Francis Chan book over the summer that just well, it was last summer really, you know, got to my heart. It said, "Lukewarm people do not live by faith." Their lives are structured so that they never have to. They don't have to trust God if something unexpected happens. They have their savings account. They don't genuinely seek out what life God would have them live. They have life figured and mapped out. They don't depend on God on a daily basis. Their refrigerators are full and for the most part they're in good health. The truth is, their lives wouldn't look much different if they suddenly stopped believing in God. And that convicted the tire. That, that was one of the things I think God was preparing our hearts before we found out anything about moving to Birmingham. And showing me, gosh, you know, and, and, and I, I, I've told you our story before last year, but having lived with students, we moved to a place in South Manchester where for a year we weren't in a good, healthy spiritual situation. We weren't close to disciples, we had issues with, you know, various things going on that, you know, we need to do work through, etc., etc. But I could feel my heart. Drifting, my kind of barriers, be investing myself more and more in my career, etc. Mm-hmm. Working more and more evenings, whereas I used to be doing, I used to go, right, five o'clock's come, that's it, family time now, and in the evenings, that's Bible study time, you know, family group, those kind of things, disciple, that's what my evening, you know, that year, well, my evenings were free, so hey, what am I going to do? I'll, I'll take on some more work. I, you know, I can find jobs to do, I can find ways to fill my time. Mm-hmm. The trouble is, I think for, for some of us, we've spent the last ten years kind of filling our lives with these things. Mm-hmm. We're not really aware that we made really conscious choices or subconscious choices mm. over the last 10 years. And all of a sudden we're left with, I have an awful lot of money left to be able to give to God. I don't really have an awful lot of time either to be able to give to God because I've, I've taken on this new role here and I've got this commitment here. But these are choices we've made over the last few years. And, and I think this is part of what Haggai was trying to get through to them. He was trying to say, wake up, look. This is not what you, you don't come here to build the foundations. This was just the start. Mm. You need the foundations. Mm. Of course you do. Mm. But the foundations aren't a glorious thing. God wants to inhabit his kingdom, his temple. Mm. Again, mm. there is a hope, there is a future. Mm. Let go of your idols. Let go of mm. your false comfort. Mm. 
But there's a third lesson from Isaiah as well. And it's fulfill your calling. You see, the exiles had rebuilt eventually. But I don't think when you read through Isaiah, they ever really fully captured God's vision. And I think part of that was that, in a sense, maybe they couldn't. I think part of it, they missed it. But I think, in a sense, they couldn't until Jesus came. Have a look in Luke chapter 4. Come on here. Come on here. chapter 4 and verse 16. He went to Nazareth, he being Jesus, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, unrolling it. He found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. <clears throat> then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, Jesus does something really interesting, which if you just go through this passage from Isaiah, you won't necessarily notice. And I, I only noticed it when I read a study guide on this a few years ago. Because he, he basically does a kind of cut and paste job from passages from Isaiah 61 and Isaiah 58. But the interesting thing I want us to focus on for a second is in verse 22, the first part. Having just read this passage from Isaiah, he said, now this is fulfilled in your presence. How do people respond? Verse 22, it says, all spoke well of him. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Now the NIV translates this all spoke well of him. There are several scholars, and I read this a while ago, and the book actually is on the handout, I think 1957 was the original guy who pointed this out. A guy called Jeremiah. But he says actually that the, that the Greek word here is, is the word for testify or witness. But it doesn't actually give a positive or a negative. It doesn't actually say that they testified or they witnessed or they, 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 they felt approvingly of him. It doesn't say that they felt negatively of him. It's left down to the Bible translators to figure out which, which of these best seems to fit. So on one account, these guys listen to Jesus preach. They hear this gracious message. They think, this is great. This is Jesus. We know this guy. And then as he carries on, by the time we get to verse 28, they don't like what he goes on to say and they turn to hate him. That's one version of this. But there's another reading, which is that from the very start, they hated the message of Jesus. They didn't like what he was preaching. Let me give you a, reason, a couple of reasons why that might be the case. I think I put one of these quotes on there. But it basically, what this guy pointed out in 1957, he said that Luke exhibits no break in the attitude of his audience towards Jesus. On the contrary, it records that from the outset, unanimous rage was their response to the message of Jesus. Why? Why might that be the case? Why might they, from the start, dislike what Jesus was preaching? This guy goes on to say that the good news was their stumbling block. Principally, 
because Jesus had removed vengeance on the Gentiles from the picture of the future. Mm. See, by the time Jesus is preaching in the first century, Isaiah 61 had come to be interpreted a very particular way. Mm. And it was all about a blessing for Israel and a curse on the Gentiles. Mm. Jesus, when he preaches it, he doesn't, he stops. He stops before the curse on the Gentiles. This is a message of grace. Mm. Verse 18. Jesus is setting it straight. He says in verse 18, I've come to proclaim good news to the poor. The Spirit is on me. Why? To proclaim good news to the poor. Verse 18 again, freedom for the enslaved. Verse 19, that the year of the Lord's favour has come. And that's where Jesus ends. And they were angry. They were angry from the start because Jesus missed the vengeance of God on the Gentiles. Isn't that sad? Isn't that sad? You know, inspired by Isaiah and the later prophets we looked at, Haggai, Zechariah, etc., they rebuilt. But somewhere along the line, it became all about, you know, somehow subtly, I think, to start with, being separate. Being all about, we're God's people over here. Anyone outside of that, you know, that's not our priority. We're about God's people in here. And they never fully grasped God, uh, Isaiah's third message, which was fulfill your calling. Mm. You know, over time they separated internal needs, meeting the needs within the, the church, mm. the congregation, from being outward focused. Mm. You know, either that meant meeting those internal needs, or perhaps it was fear of those outside, fear of being too outward focused. But you see, for God it was both. You just have to read through Isaiah to, to be, you know, convinced of that. God wanted to bring healing, renewal, new birth, revival, strength to them. He did. Mm-hmm. But he also demanded that they be the light of the world. Mm-hmm. And, this, and this vision that he had for Israel from the start, it comes out so clearly. As I've it onwards, mm-hmm. again and again, he's saying, you know, people will flock to you. Mm-hmm. It's like the Isaiah 25, this great feast mm-hmm. where all nations will flood. Mm-hmm. Somehow, the Jews missed it. You see, Jesus' message was a message of mercy. Yes, love one another. Yes, take care of one another. Mm. Yes, but also be a bearer of God's mercy to others. Mm. You know, like I said, we've been here for a year now, and I feel very strongly. This is a great church. I feel super encouraged. Mm. And, you know, I, I, honestly, I, I thank God regularly mm. for having brought us here. Mm. But I also think we need to have a deep conviction that God wants to do far, far more mm. through us. Mm. You know, God wants to fill this room. I don't know, we used to do this kind of thing. Do you remember, like, how many seats could we fit in this room? Mm-hmm. I don't know, mm. probably two, three hundred if we pack the aisles. Mm. God wants to fill this room. Can you imagine having two services on a Sunday? I mean, hey, we've got a four o'clock one. We could have a ten thirty one. Why not? What about all the places around Birmingham? You know, I, I'm not that familiar with all the places around Birmingham yet, but I, I know Warwick, we go there quite often, and Leamington. Mm-hmm. You know, Nottingham, I worked there for a little while. Where else is close? Where else is within a stone's throw of Birmingham that would be part of our kind of catchment area? Mm. God wants churches there too. Mm. You know, I bet if you've been around a Roman church for long enough, you probably remember people talking about that stuff. Mm. That's not a dream of the past. No. You know, the last 10 years have been relaying the foundations. They're important foundations. They need to be laid. But God has plans mm. for the future. Mm. And I think all of us need just a constant reminder of that. Mm. It's in our nature to just kind of 
grow accustomed to things the way that they are. Mm. But God isn't a God who, who stops here. Mm. And that was the message through Isaiah. Mm. You know, I've been so inspired by what's happening in South Birmingham recently. Mm. You know, um, uh, 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 so with the Celio group, we had uh, Joe and his family and, and Phil and Arminda join us fairly recently. Mm. And we had, like, Friday night, for example, we just... It got, we weren't sure what the weather was going to be like. It got to the Thursday. We sent a text to our family. We sent a text to various neighbours we've been reaching out to. Mm. We just said, look, out to our house, outside of our house is a kind of a, a communal green. Mm. And it's got a sign on there saying, you know, don't play football, don't go on the grass. Mm. All the kids go on the grass. And we kind of thought, let's just do something on the grass. It'll be in view of everyone. Mm. So if people want to come join us, that's fine. So we did some violence. Mm. Like all, you know, all the people we're kind of reaching out, they've got similar aged kids. We thought, you know what? I don't want to go to a big firework display with teenagers running around with fireworks in pockets and things. Mm. Let's do it on our green. Mm. And it was great. So we sent a text, you know, Thursday afternoon, up until about 4 o'clock on Friday. It was chucking it down with rain, if you remember. Mm. About 4 o'clock onwards, I checked my iPhone. Oh, the, the sun's going to come on. Sun, but it stopped raining, right? Mm-hmm. So we had eight neighbours come down and eight kids mm. of theirs. And came still in the green. People that we've been reaching out to. People who come to our home for various different things. Mm. It was phenomenal. It was mm. so encouraging. Mm. You know, I've been setting up studies with some of these women already. Mm. You know, a few, uh, about a month ago, Chris, uh, Walt, and myself, Jimmy, and James got together and tried to think, okay, look, you know, what's going on in South Berlin? What can we do together? Mm. We had our first group sort of I don't know, like sports night that Anna organised indoors in South Birmingham. It was, mm. it was kind of a sports night in a small venue. It, it was great. Mm. The kids were sort of running all over the place. It was a bit chaotic and <laughs> ping pong going on on the tables. Mm. But it was a lot of fun. You know, we have a vision for South Birmingham. Mm. What about North Birmingham? What about West Birmingham, East Birmingham? I don't really know of these places. You, you mm. tell me places you've been, you know, I'm not familiar with you. Mm. The truth is, you know, it's winter, mm-hmm. it's darker, mm-hmm. it's colder. Mm-hmm. I know the temptation. We're Brits, right? Mm-hmm. You might not be Brits, but you're living in Britain right now. Yep. The temptation for Brits during the winter is to hibernate. Yeah. Right? I mean, Brits in the summer hibernate. It takes quite a while, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Instead of it, it's obviously this massive attraction during the summer, it just becomes more so in during the winter. winter. Why not? Yeah. Just don't watch these cinemas. No. That's the sign. That's the thing. That's the <laughs> <laughs> no. Or Coronation Street or whatever no. else is happening. Um, no. but, but the point is, it's winter, right? It's colder, it's darker. That temptation to kind of, when you come in from work and just, let's hide it, let's sit it out till March, mm-hmm. April, <laughs> oh <my> God. <laughs> May, June. Oh my God. But I want you to think about how can I be a light this winter in my neighborhood, in my office, mm-hmm. in my school, mm-hmm. at university? What can I do? Mm. Last year, when I preached first time in Birmingham, we had said you know, we were going to do this multi thing for our neighbours. Mm. And, you know, we, we, we sent a uh, message, when I dropped a message into people's door, we had like 30 or so neighbours come down. It was pretty packed in our house, our house wasn't very big. Mm. It was great. We've been reaching out to them since. Some of them have come to buy the talk and things. Mm. What about that? Mm. Could you do a multi thing for your neighbours or something like that? Mm. I mean, it's just amazing how British people. They won't come out of the house for an awful lot, but you know, invite them around for fireworks or yeah. mince pies mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. Do you know what? They'll come. Mm-hmm. They'll come. Trust me, I'm British. I'd come. <laughs> In closing, yeah. Isaiah's message with judgment is done, but don't be satisfied with the foundations. Three things: turn to face God, mm-hmm. recommit yourself to the God mm-hmm. of second chances. Mm-hmm. Number two: abandon your idols. Mm-hmm. You know where is comfort crept into your life? Mm-hmm. Deal with it radically. 
Mm-hmm. And number three, let's rebuild again. Let's, we sing that song, and I like it. I've never heard it to be kind of burning. Go do something beautiful. Mm-hmm. We're not singing that today, but if we were, mm-hmm. go do something beautiful. Mm-hmm. Think about something, the impacting that you can do in your neighborhood, in your workplace, at the university. Mm-hmm. Make a difference. And let's continue to rebuild on the foundations we've laid. Amen. Amen. Come on here. Thank you so much you for that. This is Les Lad for our final song. Uh, to Kevin's Man, I'm on my way.